a lot of children leaving the room. Just in case everyone got a little nervous, Life Groups is a sign-up, not a sing-up. So uh, we won't ask anybody to sing unless you really, really want to. In that case, I'll ask you to stop. How is everyone today? A little chilly this morning? Tiny bit. I've learned, I've learned something about life in that there are, generally speaking, two topics that you don't bring up in general conversation. Anybody guess what they are? Two things. Religion, as much as we encourage people to share their faith, religion is kind of a taboo topic to talk about in Canada. And secondly is politics. So why don't we talk about both of them this morning, shall we? That's not like fun? I'm going to start a riot. Let's hope not. So I thought before we launch into the story series as a church, let's close out our Elephant in the Room series and talk about politics while we're at church. That is not, that isn't the slide I want. But before we get started, I do want to start with a little disclaimer. This is kind of like the terms of service you agree to and you sign up for something online. You may not read it, but you know, you click I agree. That is this, that most churches in Canada, Glad Tidings Church included, are registered charitable organizations. As a registered charitable organization, we are not allowed to take an official stance and back a specific party within our government. And so um, two things could happen. One, our status would be revoked, and uh, having that allows us to do a lot of different ministries that we probably wouldn't be able to do otherwise. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hang on to that. And secondly, I'm pretty sure that I would upset half of our congregation. Because I'm sure that even in this room, we have varying political opinions and ideologies, and we have different opinions on how things should be run in this country, right? <laughs> but he's just quiet. <laughs> Paul writes in Romans 12, 18, says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So we're going to go with that this morning. I'm going to do my best to keep this conversation away from promoting any sort of political ideology, um, including my own. I think we all have our own political leanings. And um, whether we can articulate them or not, whether we know all the phrases and the right words to use, we all have our own opinions on how things should be run. Um, you're allowed to guess at mine if you feel so inclined, but I'm not going to affirm or deny either one of them, whatever you guess. So today is rather about attempting to answer the question how should Christians and politics coexist? Very deliberate on how I worded that, and that's what we're going to discuss here this morning. But before we can begin any conversation, especially one on politics, um, I think we need to hear what the Bible has to say. Agreed? Yes. <laughs> yes, please, Pastor. <laughs> because ultimately, the Bible should be what directs and guides our conversations and our decisions about this. So let's stand this morning. The text we'll be reading from is from the Gospel of Matthew. Many of you probably know this passage fairly well. I'm going to read the blue, or blue-ish, whatever color that is, and you're going to read the white. 22, 15 to 22 says this, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him, that's Jesus, in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true teach the way of God truthfully, 
and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word guides and directs our lives. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning as we dabble in this rather difficult topic. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would use me, that your words would come through, not my own. And we thank you again, God, for your word. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you have a seat? When translating languages, if you were translating, let's say, let's use the example of the Bible, the biblical text, when translating from Greek to English, and if you were translating this and someone stood up and said something like, yeah, but in Russian it says, you might answer with something like, that's good, thank you, but with all due respect, that's not really relevant at the moment. We're translating to English, not into Russian. So when looking at this text, we're translating culture in some, in some respects from first century Israel we're going to translate to 21st century Canada. Now, we can't really jump in with something like, well, yeah, but in the United States, or yeah, but in Europe, because with all due respect, we're not there. We're here right now. Those aren't really relevant things. So when we're looking into a world that's very different from the one we live in, we read a text from first century Israel. That's what we're doing, which we're trying to translate culturally into 21st century Canada, because again, that's the time and the place that we're living in. And so, that's kind of the framework for where we're going with this. I'm going to talk from a very Canadian perspective. And so, let's answer a couple questions before we get going. First, what government is? What is government? Not just our government, not just some other country's government, but what is government in general? Well, there are three societal institutions that God has established. The first is the family. We see this in the institution in the marriage of Adam and Eve and their children, Cain and Abel. The second is the church, or the public gathering for people to worship. We see this started with the temple in the Old Testament and it's now become the church. Um, and the third is the government, or just government in general, or people who would lead and ruler, rule over larger amounts of people in a specific geographic region. This began with the anointing of Saul as king over Israel, and David and Solomon, and you can fill in the Sunday school song from there. These institutions aren't going away anytime soon, so I hate to say it this way, but we should probably learn to, learn to accept them, even enjoy them. Can I say that? Can I say that? Yes, including even our own government here in Canada. So fun trivia, before we, before we go much further, who is... Who is Canada's head of state? Governor General. Governor General? Anybody else want to, nobody wants to answer this. It's like he's talking about politics. I can't say anything. <laughs> a 
According to some polls, the majority of Canadians answer this question with the Prime Minister, or they use the Prime Minister's name, in our case, Justin Trudeau. But the fun fact, you know who Canada's head of state is? The answer is the Queen, of, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Functionally, functionally we aren't really ruled by a monarch, but technically we still kind of are. That's a little messy. I won't get into it. We're not going to get confused. Back to the point. Government is an institution created by God to serve, lead, and rule over people. The fact that we have a functioning government in Canada, although sometimes they seem a little dysfunctional, we have a good functioning government in Canada. I personally am very thankful for the government that we have in Canada. Are they flawed? Yeah, they're flawed. They're people. People are flawed. But is it good that we have a government? Yeah, I think it is. I'm very grateful. So what government is not? This is where a lot of, I think, our distaste for government comes from. is because I think a lot of times we're expecting something from our government that, quite frankly, they're not really responsible for. The government is not the solution to life's problems. It might cause a few problems, but that's all the more reason to believe and know that they're also not the solution. Government may be God's institution, but they're not God. Government will not save you because it was never meant to be your savior. That's Jesus' job. The government may be a conduit that helps you get some of the things that you need. Personally, I love getting our universal child care benefit. And all the parents said, yeah. Who wouldn't love that deposit every month? But that and other sources like it are not our source of life. Government is not the all-sufficient entity that is your and my source of life. But just like the government is not God, let's keep in mind also that the government is not the ultimate evil in Satan himself. God may work through our government, Satan may work through our government, through the people that serve in our government, I should say. But it's not Satan himself. Government does not have the power to destroy you, nor was it ever able to. Ephesians 6, 1 to 2, or 6, 12, sorry, says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of the heavenly places. The real battle is not the men and women sitting in Ottawa right now. The real battle is over our souls as being fought in the heavenly places. That's where the real battle is, and we can never lose sight of that. We can never forget that. So government is established by God to serve and lead the people of a country. Government is not meant to be our savior, and is not the devil of himself either. So let's get back to our passage this morning. The Pharisees, first of all, the Pharisees are probably getting a little tired uh, being put in their place by Jesus and looking unintelligent themselves. So what do they do? They send their disciples to confront Jesus. They send in the B squad to go confront Jesus and approach him and ask him a question. So they come to him and they try to puff up his ego a little bit as if Jesus really needed that. He doesn't need that, by the way. He's got it. And they call him teacher and say they know you're true and that you teach the way of God without regard to what other people might think or say, which is all true. And so they ask that question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Lawful here means, does it meet the religious requirements of the Jewish Torah? Of course it's lawful 
a legal sense at the time. But is a lawful meaning, does it meet the Jewish Torah teaching? Does it, does it coincide? Is it okay with our teachings? And in all fairness to the Pharisees, if you're trying to stop someone like Jesus making the claims about himself that he was making, this is actually a pretty good question. Because Jesus can't really answer the question with a yes or a no. I mean, he could, but that would be problematic. But simply, the answer really isn't that simple. If Jesus says, yes, they should be paying taxes, well, now he's got a lot of Jewish people around him who are being oppressed by a Roman government and overtaxed. He might start a riot. He, th these people might stop listening to him. They may attack him. Who knows what might happen? But people are going to be very upset. But if he answers no, that you shouldn't pay taxes, well, now he's broken Roman law. He could have been arrested on the spot. And it wasn't time for that yet. So we get Jesus' famous question to answer a question. And he calls them hypocrites, which is always a fun way to start an argument. He asks them whose image is on the coin. But he also asks, and whose inscription is on the coin? He's very careful to ask these two questions. The image on the coin is none other than Rome's head of state, Caesar. And the inscription on the coin said something along the effect of Caesar, son of God. Well, that's a little problematic, isn't it? Especially for Jewish people, even for us. It's a little problematic for Jewish people to be carrying around coins with the image of their oppressor on it, and not just the image of the oppressor, but also one that calls him the son of God. The coin has Caesar's image on it, so it belongs to him. And the Pharisees' disciples, well, they answer the question correctly. That's the image that's on it. If the coin bears Caesar's image and inscription, then the coin belongs to him. So render to Caesar what is Caesar's. But Jesus isn't finished. Because he adds something that wasn't even part of the question. But he adds this little part when he says, render to God. What is God's? Which begs the question, well, how do we know what belongs to God? We have to ask the question, where do we find God's image? God's image is on you. God's image is on me. God's image is on us. You and I bear the image of God. Give Caesar what's due to him but give God what's due to him. The question comes down to what kingdom do you pledge allegiance to? Render to Caesar what's Caesar's, but also render to God what's God's. We are first and foremost citizens of God's kingdom, what he is up to in the world. Before we are a part of any kingdom in this world, dominion, democracy, republic, whatever we want to call our country, we are citizens of God's kingdom. You won't meet too many more proud Canadians than me, but I am first and foremost a citizen of God's kingdom. And often, often we see people who get caught up, 
caught up in issues of our own country, and there's nothing wrong with discussing it, there's nothing wrong with paying attention to what's happening, there's nothing wrong with any of that, but we talk as if these particular issues have any sort of eternal consequences. I'll remind us again that the battle is not flesh and blood, but it is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The battle, dare I throw out some terms here, the battle is not against the conservatives, it's not against the NDP or the liberal or the green or whatever other number of parties we do have. The battle is in the spiritual realms, in the heavenly places. So now we get to that question that a lot of people ask. Does the Bible take a side? We're going to put side in quotes. I hate doing this, but sometimes it's just kind of necessary. Does the Bible affirm, or unaffirm, is that a word? A right-wing or left-wing approach to political ideology? Does it point one direction or another? Should Christians back a certain party? Spoiler alert, I'm not going to answer that question. Too often in our society, though, we assume that because someone is Christian, well, they must be, or they should be, or how can you be? We go one way or the other. I think that point is maybe becoming a little less of a given, but I still hear it quite often. As we said earlier, we're culturally translating the Bible a little bit here, so we have to be careful. Because the Bible's context exists, context exists from a time when there were no sides. They didn't even have a vote. There were no left-wing or right-wing politics. Maybe in some respects there were, but... Specifically in Jesus' day, you had the Caesar, who was the son of the Caesar before him. Or was the guy who rallied the troops and killed the Caesar and took his place. And that was your Caesar. You didn't have a say. A little more tumultuous than even the most chaotic of voting days here in Canada, no? So how should Christians live in light of our current political climate? I make it sound a little more, a little worse than what it is there, but... I remember I was approached by someone one time. I wish I... Sometimes I wish I was making up stories, but I'm not. They were approached by me and they said, Pastor Derek, do you think Jesus was a communist? It's one of those questions you just kind of like, okay, here we go. Because normally when people ask that sort of question, what they really want is for you to affirm what they already think. But anyway, so, so I just, why do you ask? Why do you ask that question? And they said, because he told us we should share things. I said, is that what you think communism is all about? So, well, no. So, well, you can't make that sort of blanket statement, if you will, without further qualification. So then they said, well, do you think Jesus was a capitalist? I think Jesus was a first century Jewish rabbi. I think Jesus was the son of God who was born of a virgin and died and paid the death for our sin. And I think now he's seated at God's right hand interceding on our behalf. That's what I think about Jesus. We have to be very careful when trying to press the Bible into our own political structures and ideologies. In Canada, we generally have two political ideologies, very generally glazing over this, by the way. These are often referred to as left and right wing. But here's the issue. Even the most staunch of socialists will say, even someone who is the strongest advocator for a socialist country will tell you that there are flaws in the system. Of course there are. I don't know why. 
because it's a man-made system. But even the most staunch of capitalists, the strongest advocators for deregulation, will tell you there are flaws within the system because it's a man-made system as well. No matter what ideology we invent or we go by or we adhere to even, there will be flaws in that system. I don't care how smart you are. But since God's ways are perfect, and God's ways are without flaw, we cannot pigeonhole God's ways as one or the other. We can't say he is this side or that side. You can't say that that is the truth because the answer just isn't that simple. In fact, it's actually the incorrect way we should be measuring what's good and what's not. You can believe that an ideology lines up more with scripture, that's okay. Because then the tables are turned. We no longer hold the Bible against our standards, but we're holding our standards against what the Bible says. That's the right way to do it. Which one is your standard? Which one is the metric by which you judge the other? The question is political, maybe, but the answer is not. You see, even the Pharisees asked Jesus a political question that could have got him in a lot of trouble. But Jesus answers very unpolitically. First of all, by asking them for a coin, Jesus points out the fact that the Pharisees are carrying around this coin with the image of the Caesar and with an inscription that says he's the son of God. Calling them hypocrites really isn't that crazy anymore, is it? And Jesus turns the conversation around to point out the hypocrisy of the, um, of the Pharisees, sorry, and dare I say even the hypocrisy that we can easily fall into when we lose our focus about what kingdom we really belong to. Caesar claimed the title, the Son of God. But Jesus, he's the actual Son of God. Saying a phrase like, Jesus is Lord, well, that was not necessarily a political statement. But it was turned political by the authorities. Because to say Jesus is the Son of God meant Caesar was not. To say Jesus is Lord, that means Caesar is not. It meant allegiance to Jesus came before Caesar. It comes back to kingdom citizenship. We often get political on subjects and matters that really aren't, and we often get more excited or upset about political agendas and ideas, meanwhile forgetting about that our first allegiance is to Never forget that our citizenship belongs in the kingdom of God before it belongs even in our country. As great as Canada is, it's got nothing on the kingdom of God. So what should we do? Keep our focus on what matters most. First of all, recognize that every government is allowed to go in power because God allows it. It's not fun when it's an oppressive government, and it's not an easy one to say. But somehow find a way to remind yourself that, you know what, no matter what happens, when announcements are made by the government for something to happen or something not to happen or to stop happening in our country, that even when your candidate doesn't get elected, when that party takes power, that God is still the supreme ruler over the entire universe. 
including our own country of Canada. And if and when those cutbacks happen, or when, or when God and that God is still the all-sufficient provider of all our needs. That no matter who makes the decisions in this country, Jesus is and always will be Lord of all. What else should we do? I think we need to be involved as a citizen who cares. There's an important day coming up. Who knows what that is? It's election day here in Canada in October. Although, I checked the Elections Canada website last night, and there's actually no date set. But McLean's Magazine said it's October 21st, so I don't know how this is going to shake down. I don't know. But I will advocate for all of us, everyone here, to be involved how you can. And if that just means that you get out and vote, get out. If you're eligible under our law, I don't think it's just a matter of civic duty, but it really is a privilege. It really is a privilege. There are a lot of people who live in this world have no say. Don't let yourself have no say. Take part. And especially this, pray for those in authority over us. Surely if we were to be praying for those in authority, we should also be taking part in the process of placing them there, but anyway. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4 says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, add in prime ministers, MPs, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Even Timothy brings it back to it's all about Jesus. It's all about the kingdom of God. And I mentioned this when I got off the, off the start here. Thirdly is live peacefully with all, Romans 12, 18. See here the thing is, is that government is made up of people just like you, just like me. They're humans with flaws, with sin. And those who elected our government, that's you and I, are people with flaws, with sin. And until the long-awaited return of Jesus as king over all creation, we will continue to live in a world of flaws. Electing one government over another will not turn Canada into heaven. Again, it's a beautiful country, but it's got nothing on heaven. Let's be very clear about the mission of Jesus. Jesus was not establishing a political kingdom in opposition to Caesar. In fact, they wanted to make him king a number of times, but he kept continually shutting them down. No, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, are not setting out to establish a political kingdom in opposition to our own government. The question may be political, who should I vote for? But the answer is not. Because the answer is, comes in the form of a question, have you rendered that which bears God's image and likeness? to him. Yes, we have a prime minister who serves and leads our country, but have you rendered to God what is God's? I'm going to call the band back, and I'm going to close with, with a quote. I'm going to close with a quote from N.T. Wright, and he was writing about this exact same passage of Scripture. 
And that's how I'll close this morning before we take communion together. N.T. Wright said this, let's be clear. Jesus wasn't trying to give an answer for all time on the relationship between God and political authority. That wasn't the point. He was countering the Pharisees' challenge to him with a sharp challenge in return. Was it, after all, they who were compromised? Had they really given full allegiance to their God? Were they themselves playing games, keeping Caesar happy while speaking of God? We can only fully understand what Jesus was doing when we see his answer in the light of the whole story. Jesus knew, he had already told the disciples, that he was himself going to be crucified. To share the fate of the tax rebels of his boyhood, he wasn't trying to wriggle out of personal or political danger, he was continuing to walk straight toward it, but he was doing so on his own terms. His vocation was not meant to be the sort of revolutionary they had known. The kingdom of God would defeat the kingdom of Caesar, not by conventional means, but by the victory of God's love and power over the even greater empire of death itself. Let's pray. God, it may be the first time we've ever said in our lives, but thank you for our government. Thank you for those who lead over us. And Lord, we lift them up to you. God, we ask that your wisdom would be made known in Ottawa, in the chambers where decisions are made. We ask that, God, you would intervene on people's behalf. But Lord, ultimately, I pray that no matter what decision is made, whether, whether it's pleasing to you or not, that, Lord, we would render to you what is due to you. That, God, all of our life would be given back to you. That we wouldn't be caught up that we wouldn't be, we wouldn't make political issues number one in our lives, but God, number one in our lives would be that we're giving our allegiance to you. So God, help us to be reminded of where our citizenship lies. And thank you again, God, for all that you do. Lord, we lift up our country to you, we lift up our government to you, and we lift up our lives to you. And thank you again, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.